this is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 27th of September 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here is my co-host, Jon. Good morning, Jon. Hello, Dave. Happy 25th. Indeed. Episode 25. Did you ever think we would make it this far? I didn't think we could make it past four, but... (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I was a little bit suspect when we recorded episode one. But hey, (laughs) here we are. Here we are. 25 episodes later. Now, we won't gush about it too much because, obviously, there's time for an end-of-year sort of summary. And, you know, maybe we'll get beyond episode 25. Um, But if you've been listening all that time... You know, give us a shout out on on Twitter. Um, say hi to us through the website. Give us a shout out, and otherwise, you know, maybe review us on iTunes. Uh, more about iTunes later. But uh, I think Jon, you were going to talk about some of the changes as we have grown and developed. Yes, as we grow in our podcasting affairs, we've kind of moved away from the more uh, I know. Uh, tape and wire solution to a more professional setup for our recordings and uh, sometimes people um, may be listening to the direct recordings we had on internet archive and since we're moving away from there if you are still taking our podcast recordings from internet archive please don't do that anymore because you won't find them there anymore uh, just use any kind of uh, podcasting software. Uh, if you're using the RSS feed, that's fine. That would still work. However, if you're using the RSS feed directly from FeedBurner, and if you don't know what FeedBurner is, just disregard this entire message. But if you do know what FeedBurner is and using that one directly, we've moved away from that one too. We're still doubling up on that one, but it's going to disappear by the end of the year probably. So basically, if you've been using iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast software you're using, that should just work fine without any interruption. If you have done more technical things to make it easier on yourself, I guess, take a look uh, if it's still working. And if not, just check us out on on our blog or on the uh, iTunes page to find us again. We would hate to lose you because of this kind of moving. But again, if you're just using podcasting software, it should all just keep on working. If you do have problems, though, let me know. I'm very interested. Absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, we're we're entering a new era of the podcast from episode 25 onwards. And actually, I was slightly, I was both surprised and not surprised at the same time that the switchover happened pretty much seamlessly. So you will notice uh, a swanky new look and feel to the website. Uh, let us know what you think about that. You will also notice a player that doesn't suck. Um, <laughs> so if you happen to listen to it from the website uh, as well, um, you'll find a much nicer user experience. And, hey, it's colorful too. Who doesn't like a little bit of color every now and again? Yeah. So, yeah. Truth be said, I wanted to change the website's look and feel completely, but Dave made me make it back the way it was before. Yeah, don't like change. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, I think with that, uh, we will head into the break. Except we won't. You don't have Because breaks instead, anymore. we're going Come to on. do news for the week. <laughs> it's 25 episodes, and Dave already lost it. I don't know. Yeah. It's this, I told you, man, I don't like change. This change <laughs> format, I, I'm just not very used to it. Anyway, well, so may, before maybe- we. Yeah, maybe it's time to introduce our guest for today. Exactly. It's just what I was going to do. So before we dive right into the news, we actually do have a special guest today. You want to say hi? Hi. Hi. I am Michele. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. 
Uh, and my complete yeah. name is Michele Lamarca. I come uh, originally from uh, from Italy, and but I came here in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, four years ago, uh, almost five, to join uh, uh, Bright Computing, uh, our software company, and I'm responsible for the big data integration. That's why I'm interested in uh, big data and uh, all the, the this this world. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you with us. Oh, thanks. Now, obviously, you have invited Michele for the main topic of the podcast. But before we do that, we're going to go to the normal news section, won't we, Dave? We will. We will. And we won't have a break, even <laughs> though, you know, I need a bit of a break because it's been a long day already. Anyway. Um, all right. So who's going to go first? Uh, you go first. All right. So first actually isn't news, but it's a shout out to Bart from Cinescope, um, who I spent some time with this week. And uh, he said, oh, are you Dave from the Roaring Elephant podcast? And I yeah, said, yeah. yes. And he said, oh, I listen to your podcast. So he's uh, he's only been listening for sort of a handful of episodes, just got into it. Uh, so, hey, Bart, if you're listening, um, good to meet you. Good to work with you. And uh, no doubt we'll speak soon. So. My first uh, bit of news, though, actually, is a, a blog post, um, a great blog that I, I've never heard of before, but I just love the title of it. It's Data Science and Robots Blog, um, and it's actually called Which Tool Should I Use? Now, we've had um, some of these conversations before around, I think I did one on streaming. Jan, I think you did one on the previous episode about uh, some, I can't remember which technologies it was, but this one actually takes a very different uh, direction to it. It's not talking about um, specific technologies. So it's not talking about streaming or in-memory or SQL or anything like that. It actually gives you a framework to think about, you know, how to decide which tool to use. And it goes through a number of different um, uh, a number of different questions or a number of different things to think about. Um, it's, I think it's a really well written um, article. It's not too long, um, and it just goes through uh, a couple of different stages. So the first one that I really like is it, <laughs> it goes through six different traps to avoid. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read them all out because uh, you can go and read the article, which I would thoroughly recommend, and the link will be in the show notes. Um, but the first trap that you should avoid is greed. And the, the, the quote here is, I want my streaming visualization to show petabytes of data in dazzling real-time 3D clustering by next Tuesday for cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and it just the comment says, you can't have everything. Choosing will require giving up some things you want for others you want more. And I, I, you know, the, the goals are sort of all along that kind of line. They're really good. Um, so I would thoroughly recommend taking a look at that. The other one is um, they talk about nine different landmarks to navigate by. And so these are things like uh, price or time to learn or educational value, maturity, scalability, things like that. And they they give a, a really nice explanation for each of these points and the sort of things that you should be thinking about in this space. Um, so, it's it's a relatively short article, you know, couple of a uh, couple of pages on the to scroll through, but really, I think it's a it's a really nicely written blog. It's a really good kind of story, and it does give you something to think about. 
we all know that this big data ecosystem is absolutely huge. And so having something to just guide you through that decision-making process that is not technology-specific, it's very much generic, I think is really nice. And what's the intended audience? Architect, business? Um, Programmer? I, well, I don't know, actually. I mean, it's... I guess the, to, to reflect the question back, who do you think makes these sorts of decisions? Um, I think we all do. I think you're right. I think developers kind of, if they're given free reign, just pick up either what they know or if they want to learn something new and cool, they pick that up. Uh, I think in some cases architects get to set this, but I'm not sure that's – well, I know, in fact, that that's not always the case. Sometimes a data scientist has just picked up some stuff, built something, and then that has to be integrated somehow. So I think it's useful for everybody. Okay. Okay, why does our guest go next, Michele? Yeah, something for us. Yeah, okay. So one of the uh, interesting things I found uh, lately uh, was uh, the release uh, of the first alpha release, dubbed Alpha 1 for Hadoop 3. So since I started working uh, on uh, in, uh, play and playing with Hadoop uh, since three years ago, we had uh, only Hadoop 1.1, 1.2, sorry, uh, I was interested in uh, actually seeing what, where is Hadoop going, uh, not just the whole ecosystem, but Hadoop itself, because yeah. now the focus is uh, moving on many other tools, but uh, we, we should not forget about Hadoop itself. So, um, yeah, in the release notes uh, for this alpha, I read that uh, they are finally moving to Java 8, so they will drop support for Java 7. And this has a nice side effect that I soon discovered that uh, uh, Java 8 is using uh, much more uh, virtual memory. <laughs> so <laughs> you run some jobs and uh, you end up having uh, your containers killed uh, <laughs> while for, with uh, uh, Hadoop 2 uh, it works perfectly. But yeah, they will probably Im improve this. Um, other interesting things are um, support for erasure encoding mm -hmm. in HDFS. So, yeah, uh, you know, at least you need to have, uh, to feel comfortable, let's say, uh, three replicas for Hadoop, but in many cases you can have 10 or 50 replicas, if you wish. Uh, but in some cases uh, uh, you want to uh, pr uh, to get a little bit more space, to save a little more space. And so they are introducing... Uh, Erasure encoding for HDFS, which would be something like uh, technologies already used for RAID. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's something that uh, I understand it can be done uh, uh, on a per directory basis yeah. and not yeah. the whole file system. And yeah. so I'm going to investigate that. Yeah, so uh, it's the, the, the balance between having cheaper data stores because you don't have the replications, but have somewhat slower recuperation of the data because it's uh, being calculated in a rate five kind of fashion. Yeah, that's, that's probably the trade-off. Yeah. Uh, Although, since we are getting also uh, faster uh, networking solutions, uh, yeah, I guess uh, also talking with the uh, other vendors, uh, I guess that uh, you should make really empirical studies to understand whether you should uh, move to uh, erasure encoding or not. I think the other thing might be if you're looking at um, the density, storage density of SSDs is ever marching on, the price is ever coming down. So actually a combination of erasure coding 
you know, packing the data into a smaller space and maybe going to more of an SSD approach, that that might actually balance things out. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that could be interesting because also uh, there's already support uh, in uh, the current Hadoop release for uh, uh, different tiers. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you can decide to have to specify some parts will be on uh, SSDs, some parts will be on uh, old style spinning hard drives, and possibly for also on uh, tape, maybe. Uh, so actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was uh, talking with the uh, hardware um, uh, vendor uh, about SSD solutions. And they, they they need to find a nice spot in the area because uh, they know that SSDs uh, can be really really expensive, and so they need also to justify uh, this this kind of expense. So okay. it's not we are not going uh, uh, straight to SSDs totally, but it's uh, it's one direction. Yeah, and also of course the addition of the kind of decoupling of compute and storage that's going on in Hadoop world today. These, you can have a storage silo that has I don't know, disks and SSD as a second tier and memory as a first tier to do caching and stuff, right? So that also takes away a lot of the uh, speed imp implications. Yeah, yeah. I actually have been uh, talking with uh, some vendors. Uh, I can name one solution. It's uh, from uh, it's Isilon, mm -hmm. uh, in which they totally split uh, yeah. the computation and the storage. Uh, but also other vendors, uh, they don't provide uh, actually uh, um, an API compatible uh, storage. But they just say that we will uh, sell you um, uh, the hardware. And uh, we will split computation and storage because we found that actually it's doable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the old uh, saying that uh, uh, you should have a data locality mm -hmm. in some way, I mean, it's, it's fading away a little yeah. bit. And it's a little bit strange, <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's also with the move away from pure and simple MapReduce in Java. I mean, pure and simple MapReduce in Java, you can still have the data locality advantage. But if you go into Spark, for instance, it's all in memory. So who cares where your data stores? Yeah, yeah you, you've got to get it from disk to memory, though. <laughs> Don't forget that part. Yeah, but that's one big streaming ingest. And the, yeah. the whole thing about having data locality was to have a little, little bitty of a uh, bit of computing to go to that little bitty bit of uh, data. And yeah. that doesn't happen when you do a full gulping in of the data set. Yeah, I mean, the the, the fact is that, as um, Kael was saying, networks have got faster, and yeah. that that sort of allows a separation of compute and storage to make uh, make more sense. It's not just that they've got faster, though. It's also they've got faster and cheaper. I mean, 10 gig E is standard. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't talk to anybody who's who's actually looking at anything less than 10 gig E now. And in fact, some some organizations are even moving to um, 40 gig E um, within, within data centers. So you know, it's just become the, the standard to have very fast networks. Yeah, we also shouldn't uh, forget about uh, the possibility to have a totally different file system from HDFS. So in some cases, uh, I, I'm talking about that because I actually played with that and uh, uh, implemented something like that. Um, so you can actually have a luster instead of HDFS yeah. for, yeah. for Hadoop. 
and you can also have uh, GPFS, which mm-hmm. is uh, uh, also uh, another, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is also fancy. Yeah, for Luster, you uh, you can have the Intel distribution, but there's also the the free one, yeah. uh, the free the free one. And uh, if yeah. if you want, uh, I mean, you, you can actually have uh, you can totally separate uh, file system. Uh, from computation and in some cases you can get uh, another you can go another step forward uh, because you can also get rid of yarn and uh, totally uh, so and use slurm instead of yarn so you would end up having uh, no Hadoop services at all (laughs) so it would be an Hadoop without Hadoop services which is, uh, but, but I mean, it, it's working in some contexts. Uh, it's uh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's useful uh, uh, for the Luster and the GPFS. Do you, don't you still have the bottleneck of the name service that needs to be more of a yeah, active role? Because lately, I've been looking more at Ceph, which is, yeah. I guess, more on parity with HDFS. Basically, that has the full parallel access to the uh, data node as well. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm still investigating GPFS, so I, uh, I'm not tested it yet, but. Yeah, yeah. Ceph is definitely the other the other solution yeah. in that space that that does look quite interesting. Um, I was talking to somebody about a month or so ago that said, "Yeah, we had that all up and running. Then we upgraded to the latest version, and it all broke again." So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I think, you. Yeah, it, it's it's like all these things at the very cutting edge. You know, expect to get cut. Yeah, definitely. If you go into CephFS, that's still very much beta. Ceph block storage, that works relatively well. But of course, block storage for uh, a Hadoop cluster, eh, not sure if it's useful. I see yeah. it more often in uh, virtualization uh, situations. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I found that the Ceph support, I guess it was a still a uh, last release, was I think a couple of years ago. So I mean, no. it's really maintained. Uh, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I wanted to investigate. But mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I don't see much movement. Um, yeah, one last thing about Hadoop 3 mm-hmm. is they're going to introduce something, uh, uh, a support for more than two uh, name nodes. So we are not yeah. talking about federation, which you can have two, uh, you can split your uh, uh, metadata, your namespace on different name nodes. Actually, we're talking about uh, uh, multiple uh, standby name nodes because I mean with what with just one name node we have a single point of failure with two names so you have a two points of failures <laughs> 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 so I mean with more than two name nodes and uh, possibly a larger number of journal nodes you will uh, you will get a higher availability so this is also something that uh, I would like to investigate for the implementation purposes how to deal actually how to manage a cluster with uh, more than to name notes would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's not something I've heard a lot of asking for from by my customers. They're, they're always asking for, can I split HDFS over two data centers? So if the multiple name notes could solve that problem, that would be great. But I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I don't know. I think it, it's one of those issues that as, as people get larger and larger clusters, they, stand, they tend to think, well, you know, load is increasing and, you know, the name nodes traditionally have been the, the one pieces of the puzzle that have been scale up rather than scale out. Mm-hmm. So I I think this is probably the first step along that way um, of, of having the ability to you know, introduce a bit more resilience into that. 
Yeah, but it's not a scale out, is it? It's not like the H base no, has multiple region nodes that each has its own part of the namespace. Each single instance of the name node will have the full namespace. So you still need yeah. to do the scale up. Yeah, but it just gives you the ability to fail over beyond just the, having the two by the sounds of things. So, mm-hmm. again, it, it's slight increase in resilience, but you're still you're still doing the scale up piece. Yeah. It's so a, it's part of that enterprise we, readiness. Yeah, why don't we have? Uh, I've got a better idea, a better idea than all of this. Why don't we just um, put the name server on HBase? That'd be much better. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yes, but since HBase needs the name node to know where it's data, oh. I think oh. you got this chicken and egg thing going no. on there. So what we do is we have we have a Hadoop cluster in <laughs> a Hadoop cluster. There we go. That will yeah. solve all the world's problems. Dave, your sales personnel is coming up here. Be careful. <laughs> Recursive Hadoop. It's the way of the future. <laughs> all right. So Leon, it must be must be your turn for a for a new story. Uh, yeah, I've got one from Nature. Hmm. Now, that's respectability for you. And it's titled, More Accountability for Big Data Algorithms. It doesn't say much as a title, but it's something I've been hearing a bit more of the uh, last couple of weeks. And it has to do with the fact that people are doing all this machine learning and neural networking, and whatever comes out of there has been accepted as being the truth. That must be right, because the machine learning told me it is right. And of course, there's a lot of bias going on when you select your data, when you use your data, and a lot of these data scientists just love to play with the technology, but don't really look at, does this make sense sometimes? (laughs) So this article, it's a nice article, it's not too long, it's a nice read, just warns a little bit about, don't put all your faith in there, it's not gospel, just use it as any other tool out there, use it using your brain as well. Because sometimes you don't need machine learning, you just take normal intellect for it. Sometimes you do need machine learning, but that doesn't mean you should stop using your normal intellect. So it's a nice read. And the funny thing is, uh, when I was looking around, I found another article on Time magazine, which is a lot less uh, reputable, I would say, because their title, they, they have the same kind of con- content in the article, but their title is, This Mathematician Says Big Data is Causing a Silent Financial Crisis. Wow. So they, they're doing the doomsday version of it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to put both links in the show notes so everybody can just put it next to each other. And in the end, they're saying exactly the same thing. It's a tool, use it with intelligence, but the way they present it is really funny. <laughs> lies, damn lies, statistics, and machine learning models that, aren't, that haven't been verified. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's nice. It's just not, not, not only the algorithm, but nature also makes the case that if somebody puts something out there, we have gotten this machine learning component answered like this. Okay, also tell us what data you used. Open up how you did it, which algorithms you used, what tuning you did, so we can all look at this response, at this outcome with intelligence nice back to you all right so my last one's a relatively short one and it just it just made me laugh so i thought i'd share it um it's yar the pirate's guide to r um (laughs) which i just thought was genius um so it's in celebration of uh talk like a pirate day or tlap day um it's not today is it it's not, no. Oh. Sadly, we've missed it. Um, but feel free to do the entire rest of the podcast in a pirate's voice. That would that would make me very happy. Oh, no. <laughs> so it, it's really good. Um, uh, so the link's in the show notes. Uh, a guy named um, uh, Nathaniel Phillips, I think it is, um, 
Yeah, Nathaniel D. Phillips has put together what I think is just really, really good. So there's a couple of pieces of this. First of all, um, if you go to his blog post, um, there's a picture of a pirate and it says, click my beard to download. Um, You click his beard to download and you get a PDF, which is 247 pages of uh, introduction to R and running through exercises and all kinds of good stuff. Sorry, 200 but, pages, that's not an introduction. <laughs> well, okay, depending on depending on your definition of introduction, but an introduction to R, I mean, R is a pretty big topic. Yeah, Come on. definitely. So, but, but that's not all. Yes, there's more. So also, if you um, continue to scroll down that, you can actually see um, that he's... Uh, created some YouTube lectures based on the same content and based on the chapters in the book. So there are six um, uh, YouTube videos ranging between, let's see, around about 15 minutes all the way up to just over 35 minutes for each of the sections. Um, and, you know, it goes through installing our studio, coding basics, generating vectors, vector arithmetic, descriptive statistics, indexing and comparing vectors, introduction to matrices and data frames, and finally, basic data frame manipulation. Um, so, you know, the, the books, uh, sorry, the uh, the videos go along with the book. Um, it's just really nicely done. I've, I've started to work my way. I'm, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows, I'm not a developer, but the topics here do interest me. So I've been kind of looking through it, listening to the stuff and watching it and reading through the book. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's really nicely written. Um, the videos are really good. They give you a really good understanding of what is actually doing. So I thoroughly recommend it. If you're interested or curious about some R and, uh, you know, yar, pirates <laughs> go to R. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, what's the date on this? Is this because uh, you have the Open R, you have the Revolution R, and then you have the Revolution R on Spark? Uh, how how up to press are they? Um, so this is this is using R and R Studio. Okay. It was uh, yeah. So it's 2016. I think it's early 2016. Yeah, it be fine. So it's still it's still pretty recent. And you know the the core concepts that they're covering here don't really change. So. Um, well, yeah, they, they kind of do because the the difference between Open R and the Revolution R is the multi-threading, and on Spark, of course, the distributed nature of it. So the way you're using your algorithms does really change on how you can scale. Yeah, but it, as I say, it's it's this year, so you should yeah, it be, should, be it should be fine. Yep. So that's it. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> no more pirates, please. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my next uh, suggestion is something which uh, likely doesn't contain R, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, a Luxio. So I found uh, actually a small, a short video on uh, O'Reilly. Yeah, there's an R, O'Reilly website. <laughs> O'Reilly. <laughs> O'Reilly website uh, um, showing how to uh, run Spark on Aluxio. And so uh, what is Aluxio? It was actually uh, called, uh, um, uh, 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 it was Project Tachyon. It, uh, it actually was conceived at the same uh, AMP lab and UC Berkeley, so when they actually intended much more stuff, much more interesting stuff too. And I, I was I started playing with Tachyon and Aluxio a long time ago, and I see that now there's a there's a nice uh, interest in that. So uh, Aluxio is a memory in-memory layer, 
uh, storage, um, which is uh, really interesting uh, if you use it with uh, with the Spark. Because what you can do, uh, suppose you open your Spark shell and you uh, create an RDD with some data. Uh, when you close uh, your shell, you're losing everything. Mm-hmm. Also, if you have already cached, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because you're closing your shell, you're the context, yeah. everything else. So you can store uh, your RDD inside the Aluxio uh, file system. And so anyone else, maybe your colleagues, uh, data scientists, whatever, can access the same RDD. uh, And uh, so it will, uh, for sure, speed up uh, the computation. Uh, so you, you create actually an, an additional in-memory layer, and uh, which is uh, accessible as a file system. So it's something that is really interesting uh, because now again, like we are saying, uh, uh, prices for uh, SETs is going are going down, but also price of memory is also uh, going down. So mm-hmm. you can see now uh, machines with a huge amount of memories, yeah. and it, it makes sense also to uh, to leverage uh, all, the, all this memory uh, which is available. Okay. And does it uh, only cache the RDT or also the Spark context that uh, is attached to it? I think you you can cache uh, the uh, you can store only the RDD. Yeah, that makes uh, sense, right? Yeah, but uh, you you can also use it with Hadoop actually, since it's a yeah, file sure. system. So you can run MapReduce also on uh, on uh, on Aluxio. So uh, it looks really interesting. Yeah. So how does it differ from Tachyon? Uh it's a, it's the same project, but it's uh, they just changed the name. Ah, it's an evolution, <laughs> let's say. Yeah, yeah, they just changed the name for, I don't know, whatever, for what reason. Yeah, Must be copyright. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it's open source. Come on, guys, copyright. <laughs> yeah, but strangely, I mean, uh, it's, it's uh, one of the projects which is not uh, yet probably an Apache project. I thought Tachyon was Apache. Mm, no, it's, it's not. Uh, it's called Project Tachyon. In this case, it's Aluxio, so... Uh, it's not yeah, probably yet right. an uh, Apache project. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe they're going to go Luxio as an incubator. Although yeah. Luxio looks. If I go to the website Luxio.org, yeah. just look a bit more like a, the commercial. We are supporting this technology part of it, but uh, well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, there we'll are see. other companies supporting that, but uh, mm-hmm. this should be the on the main website. Uh, it should be, I mean, uh, uh, independent of. Uh, Companies, it's yeah, yeah. just a project. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but you're right that the uh, in-memory stuff is gonna really uh, take off, I think, because one, the cheapness of memory, of memory getting cheaper, but also it's the thing that scales easy, most easy in public clouds. If you want to scale a cluster on storage, it's easy to grow, but shrinking it again, you have to get that data has to go somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's compute. It's easy just scale compute and uh, memory and just take it away. We don't need it anymore. There's nothing to be cleaned up, really. So, yeah, yeah I see a lot with uh, my work days as well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, me next, I think. I think so. Me thinks, me mateys. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> Okay, my next one's a bit of a fluff piece, but I I, I get a good laugh out of it. It's on uh, the Entrepreneur website. Hadn't heard of it before, and it's called Six Illusions Execs Have About Big Data. <laughs> I mean, sounds good. I right? like it already. <laughs> <laughs> Subtitle being, Big Data has become a buzzword so prevalent that it's practically meaningless. I can, yeah. And it talks about stuff, uh, the normal stuff, I mean, like one preconception, all data is big data. 
Big data solves every problem. And of course, the opposite the big data is meaningless. Uh, big data is easy. It's a nice one. Uh, and imperfect big data is useless. And the last one is only big companies need big data. And everybody who listened to our e- earlier podcast about small businesses and big data knows that that's a fallacy. It's a nice article. It's not too long and it's just a nice read to, to just, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're all questions I've encountered in my professional life. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the ones that, that that I was actually having a conversation with someone just yesterday around was, you know, big data. And actually, this this kind of plays into both of the articles that you you've brought up, Jon. Big data is it, it's a you know, if you implement the technologies correctly, it's still just a tool, mm-hmm. right? It's not. It doesn't replace, um, you know, the the person in the middle that's going to you know, act on something of this. Now you can have, you know, sure you can have fully automated uh, systems and services, but that doesn't, you know, you still need someone to verify that the output of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having the smartest systems in the world and uh, dumb people looking at them isn't going to help a great deal. So having people that actually know what they're doing and know what they're looking at is is still important. You can't just uh, just because you've done big data that doesn't uh, give you the right to absolve yourself of any any other kind of interaction. Yeah, and the other thing that interests me in the article is the fact that uh, the decision makers in businesses you can't expect them to know the deep down technical details of a big data Hadoop platform, whatever. But they do need to be aware of the limitations of the whole concept. What is good for and not good for. And there's still today a big yeah, translation gap, I think. Isn't that true for everything, though? I mean, and any any technology that you come to. Yeah, but it's it's a bit of the sign of the well. I won't say immaturity of Hadoop because I don't think Hadoop is immature anymore. But it's still very new, and it's still it's percolated very well in the technical community, and IT managers are getting a grasp on it too. But the real CEO level, I mean, a lot of my work is actually translating the technical stuff into something that a business person can relate to that's something yeah. that's in his uh, world of experience and it's it's not uh, it's not a slight on either one i mean it's normal that this has to happen and if you look at sql databases and data warehouses that's been going on for dozens of years now that has been translated in every possible language you can think of and i yeah. don't mean natural languages but styles of thinking this hadoop thing still has some work to do there i think Makes sense. Yeah, may I add? Uh, I mean, uh, um, it's it's nice to see that when uh, uh, they they are presenting some findings, uh, the results of the implementation of their big data solution. Many companies they say, okay, uh, thanks to our uh, big data project, we increase the uh, the selling of this specific item or th- those specific items of uh, I don't know twenty three percent. So who's going to check actually where uh, whether is it, it, it really because of your big data project? or maybe because you're selling uh, flights and the weather is good so people, <laughs> people just want to to go on vacation <laughs> i mean there's uh, but but probably saying that uh, the sale increase was 20, 23% is, uh, is really nice for uh, the ceo level and uh, yeah. stuff like that yeah yeah, it was also also very nice to hear what they tried and didn't work until they got something that did work and got that result for them just to have the the learning experience uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting to see actually how they reach yeah. if you, if they tell you. <laughs> well, usually they don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Okay, who's next? 
I think we're done, aren't we? Okay. Oh. I don't know. You still have the listener question to go over. Okay. So we do have a question from the audience, which we are now in this new format that I'm still, you know, Getting just deciding about. Um, we have a question from the audience. So we have a question from uh, Sam Path in Baltimore. Um, he really likes our podcast. That's good. Um, and he's been listening for a little while. He's currently working as a senior SharePoint engineer, and he's looking forward to start a career in big data. Want some advice on really what sort of um, what sort of path he should be looking at? Um, he's currently started learning some of the fundamentals of Hadoop and Spark, but he's overwhelmed by the number of technologies that are available. Um, is is this a, a good direction to head down? Something like Spark, uh, and so really, do you go through the whole ecosystem and try and get a broad knowledge of everything, or do you just focus on uh, a single technology? Jon, what do you think? Uh, I think you do a very good job at reading, uh, listening to questions. That's my first point, <laughs> and my second point is, uh, as we always say, it depends. Now, since he's a senior SharePoint engineer, I'm thinking he's a technical, get my hands dirty into coding kind of person. And for that uh, level, I would say pick one subject and get good at it. Because if you pick Spark, for instance, you will inevitably also get into contact with HDFS and Zookeeper, but those shouldn't be your focus at that point. And the reason I'm saying it like this is that if you're more of a pre-sales person, like I am and you are too, then having a deep knowledge is less important than having the broad picture and being able to translate that to that business level. So I see yeah. it's a difference in what what you want to do with it. But again, since he's coming as a SharePoint engineer, I'm pretty sure he's technical, and I would actually uh, encourage him to pick one uh, item. Now, Spark is a very big item in itself already. It's multi uh, multi product already. Faster, thank yeah. you. You've got the streaming in there. So even just pick just Spark machine learning or just Spark ETL or Spark streaming and really focus on one thing. And automatically, while you're doing it, when when you get to a point where you try to build a workflow, a pipeline, the other components you will start using, and you'll get to learn them on the go. Let's say, what do you guys think? I agree. I agree. I mean, if you if you first of all, the kind of question about the whole ecosystem or a particular topic, again, you know, look at your look at your current experience, and also look at where you see yourself. If you see yourself as as a developer. Um, then you know, focusing on one of the, the the high level languages or one of the high level technologies, something like Spark, makes more sense. If you know you see yourself as hands on, but more of, more of a platform person, then actually spending time focusing on things like uh, like HDFS, like the the kind of the management stack, the security stack, maybe that makes more sense. But you know, you need to under, you need to kind of see where you see yourself in in that overall picture, and that will that should guide you along that way. But definitely, don't don't get overwhelmed by everything all at once. Listen to our podcast, uh, and that will guide you through a lot of it at the very high level. And you should find you know different topics that you become naturally more interested in because they align to either where you want to go or with your previous experience. So I, I think you definitely don't need to have a deep understanding of everything. It, and some of it, as Jan says, will some of it will just um, will just feed into your knowledge as you start picking up other technologies as you as you broaden uh, your skills on that particular area. 
Yeah, I, I would say that I agree with both of you. <laughs> Excellent. And <laughs> the guest, I should agree. No, I'm just, kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, I mean, uh, if I have to speak for my personal attitude, being mm-hmm. a developer, I will go uh, deep uh, to uh, discover a certain topic. But uh, uh, if you want to be really more pragmatical, uh, you, you cannot do that. Uh, so you need to get a grip on uh, Spark and HDFS, all the ecosystem, and uh, it, uh, depending on your role, actually, you need to be able to, at least to discuss with people about this topic and find solutions. Because if you want to go the other way, it would be probably, okay, uh, Spark, let's uh, learn Scala. Uh, okay, but there is this stuff called the functional programming, and uh, let's learn functional programming. And then you go backwards, uh, okay, let's learn a Lambda calculus, and uh, you will never finish. And you could spend a couple of years, and uh, in, in the end, your knowledge of Spark would be outdated in the meanwhile, because Spark would be already at uh, version 3 or 4. So the time to market would be uh, really too long. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, luckily, Hadoop has had a lot of effort uh, being put into being able to reuse what you know. And yeah, you could go down the rabbit hole very deeply, or just, you already know Python, then just do Spark with Python. Yeah. You will yeah. learn Spark just as well if you do it in Python or in Scala. If you know Scala, then use Scala, but don't try to complicate your life even further. Yeah, and actually, for a person that's coming from SharePoint, maybe natural text search is more of his uh, uh, cup of tea, and you should look at uh, Solar or Elasticsearch. Hey, good point, good point. And again, Solar, you can put it on HDFS, you can put it on Yarn, so the whole ecosystem comes in there, but it might be an easy way in. Because there is a big pitfall there that you do, as you said, Michele, you do study, 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 but you never produce anything, you never make anything, so you have nothing to show for in the end, and you get discouraged yeah. by making it smaller build something we always go to customers dave and i think trying to get a use case a small simple use case and develop it and see it in action and it'll grow automatically try to do it for yourself as well yeah and when you're looking at that you you want to find something that delivers enough value to actually be worthwhile doing Mm -hmm. but is not so absolutely critical that should you fail or should you take longer than maybe would be ideal, you know, it won't absolutely cripple you. You know, you need to find that that balance of something that um, is useful, you know, is a useful learning experience, is not too so difficult that, you know, you'll get discouraged as, as you sort of uh, learn technologies as you're getting to implement it. So, you know, look at look at those kind of use cases and those are often the ones that are really good to target first. Yeah, definitely build in time to fail. Yeah. And but, let's face it, expect to fail. Yeah. You know, you will, and you'll <laughs> learn from it. And yeah, that's that's the way we learn. It's not called failing, it's called learning. Yeah, yeah there we go. Fish, finishing on a positive note there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's a second part of this question. There is a second part of the question. So the second part is... Um, He's registered for some EDX courses and is working towards getting a Cloud Era certification. Uh, please provide any advice. So, Jon, you're our resident training expert. <laughs> I think uh, courses like EDX or Coursera or, or Udemy, I've discovered Udemy recently, uh, they're good. I mean, they're free sources of education. It's fine. Just be careful not to be me and spend all your time on that. Again, try to make something productive. 
on the certification part, um, I'm always a, a bit, uh, is it ambivalent in English about certifications? Yep. On the one hand, it's nice to have him on your CV so people can see at a glance that, yeah, he has a certification, so at least he has read the books. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yep. that's what certification means. Um, do be careful what certifications you use. Some certifications are just multiple choice questions, which you can answer if you're lucky. And some uh, uh, certifications are really hands-on. Here's a VM, make it happen. So some of these certifications do carry more weight for me personally than others. Uh, yep. To go outside of the uh, big data world, the Red Hat certifications, for example, have been excellent in that uh, aspect. Yeah. So that's yeah. something to be careful for. Now, what certification can very much do is give you a, a path, a path to learn. If you know, I, I, I don't really have this use case I want to develop, but I do want to learn this stuff. Saying, okay, I want to get this certification, it's a goal. So that might also be helpful. Yeah, definitely. You guys? Yeah, uh, I personally try to um, uh, take some of these courses from edX or Coursera, uh, I would say that the milliage varies a lot <laughs> because in some cases they are really, really, really basic. And uh, honestly, in some cases, I just uh, uh, play these videos at uh, twice the speed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it's, it's the content that is really... Yeah, but I mean, it depends on your level. Uh, there are other courses which are really, really uh, difficult. Um I don't know in terms of, okay, a certification is something that actually, yeah, okay, you, you can spend uh, on, you can put in your CV for sure. Um, personally, I don't know about uh, uh, other uh, mini certificates uh, which you can buy for a few, uh, I mean, for 50 euros, 100 euros, but it's something that for sure can, can be interesting on, on your CV. Uh, probably uh, the fact that you also have to pay for that, it's like like when you're doing uh, the gym subscription, you're forced to study. <laughs> <laughs> so th this, this will be really uh, to, to force you to, to, yeah. to, to attend these courses. Even though I know some people that uh, spent money on the courses, but uh, they... Uh, they they lost the money without uh, doing the exams, so it can happen. Yeah, for me it wouldn't work because I always try to get my uh, certifications on the cost of my boss. <laughs> Sorry, boss. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's part, I mean, every employer should uh, invest in the, the development of its employees and these certification are nice little goals which are not totally sales-driven or result-driven. You cannot fail, but just for your own education. So uh, I think that's good if an employer does that for its employees. All right. And I think with that, we're about done with section one. Yeah, we're also about uh, 50 minutes in already, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, listeners, oh. it's going to be a long one again. <laughs> uh, they love it. They love it. At least they don't, they don't tell us they hate it, so therefore they must love it. All right. So with that, um, we'll be back after the break, and we'll be talking to uh, Michele around creating your own Hadoop distribution, what that involves, why you would want to do it, why you maybe wouldn't want to do it, and uh, overall, his experiences. So stay tuned. Come back to us after the break. See you then. And welcome back. 
In this main part of the podcast, uh, we have invited Michele because we met you, I think, at the Hadoop Summit last year in uh, Dublin. We yeah, got yeah. to talk. Or even was... this year in Dublin. This year? Oh, man. Yeah, this year. <laughs> I, I'm a future boy. I'm going so fast, you have no idea. Anyway, at the last Hadoop Summit, thank you very much. <laughs> And for some reason or another, we kind of postponed uh, having this podcast with Michele due to timing, scheduling, whatever. But finally, we're here. And the thing that interested us uh, to have Michele on the podcast is that he told us that they are not using any kind of distribution. They're not using Hortonworks, not using CDH from Cloudera, they're not using MapR or IBM or whatever's out there. They're actually recompiling, maybe, but at least reassembling their own distribution for what they're doing. So, Michele, maybe just tell us first how you're using Hadoop in your uh, organization and then lead on to why you've decided to build your own. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I need to provide a little bit of background uh, because our company uh, does uh, um, software for uh, cluster management. So it's mostly for uh, HPC, but uh, we also do Hadoop uh, uh, integration. So um, when we decided to, uh, it was uh, I, I was checking on uh, on my logbook. <laughs> it was actually uh, something like three years ago. Uh, we had uh, some requests from customers asking, "Okay, I have this Hadoop uh, stuff, this HDFS, which at that time was uh, only version one dot two." So it was Hadoop uh, 2 was not released yet, and I, I want to manage this uh, uh, this HDFS uh, job tracker uh, task tracker, uh, but doing that manually it's um, it's a little bit uh, involved, and so can you help me with that? So we started investigating, actually started investigating and checking what's what's in in the in the Hadoop uh, distribution. Started with the, the Apache Hadoop. So starting to look at actually what you can download from uh, the uh, Apache Hadoop website. And uh, so what I saw is that uh, actually uh, Hadoop uh, tarballs contain uh, pretty much what you need to start uh, playing with Hadoop. Uh, you don't need to recompile. Uh, because it's Java. Uh, so provided that you use the correct level of uh, JVM, you can run uh, your uh, Java software, whatever you, li you like. Uh, what you need to do actually is to uh, build some infrastructure. So the in initialization scripts uh, for the services, configuration files. Uh, but um, we found actually that uh, um, it was not strictly needed to, uh, to deploy RPMs. Uh, with this uh, for different distributions to run your 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 Hadoop. Uh, the question is that we wanted to be really really flexible. So uh, when we tried installing at that time, there was also uh, Intel IDH distribution, which mm -hmm. uh, now is a uh, uh, no more. And uh, we were also trying to install several distributions, and uh, every time we run into some issues because uh, uh, there was conflicting RPMs, and also we thought, okay, what if I uh, a little bit uh, brave or crazy, I want to install multiple Hadoop distributions on on the same nodes. What happens? In some cases, you cannot do that because there are conflicts with RPMs because they try to deploy stuff on, on, on the same directories or maybe because they have different dependencies. So we decided to take a different approach and say, yeah, okay, 
uh, we have these tarballs. So Hadoop, uh, you can download it from uh, TarGZ from the website, but it's the same for uh, Spark and all the rest of uh, uh, the tools for the ecosystem. And building a little bit of infrastructure around, uh, you're able actually to uh, which uh, you're, you're not actually building your uh, your adopted distribution, but it's something in between because we can download the uh, tarballs from uh, Cloudera website. Uh, so they also distribute tarballs, not only RPMs. Uh, I'm talking about the, the open source part. Mm -hmm. And you can also download uh, uh, corresponding tarballs from Hortonworks website, for instance, or directly from... Um, from Hadoop, from Apache Hadoop. And so if you check the differences uh, between uh, the vanilla one and the distributions uh, ones, uh, the differences are really, really minor differences because uh, they're actually, uh, they, they are applying different uh, sets of patches. Uh, so the differences are in the jar files mostly, but all the infrastructural part, so the scripts to run the jobs, uh, to run the commands, uh, configuration files are pretty much the same. Uh, so what I what we thought to do is that okay, um, our our focus is uh, um, managing a cluster. So what we can do is build some infrastructure around this tarball, uh, so we can allow people to uh, run uh, um, to easily distribute uh, deploy a dupe and also uh, with different flavors uh, on the same set of nodes, and so you can have multiple instances. Uh, at that time, we were also thinking that uh, there's Hadoop 1 and that there was also uh, Hadoop 2 soon to be released. And we thought, yeah, okay, suppose I have my applications for Hadoop 1 and then I'm migrating to Hadoop 2, uh, I would like to, uh, to install Hadoop 2 beside Hadoop 1. So what should I do? Which distribution should I choose? If we create something which is uh, independent of the distribution, uh, we can allow customers, we can allow people to uh, to have more, uh, let's say, uh, more choices in, in that sense. Um, so um, technically, uh, what we do is that uh, uh, we, uh, on every node, we have to write out the configuration files for, for Hadoop, so the usual core site XML, HFS site XML, etc. Um, but uh, um, the tarball is unzipped, is untarred on a um, NFS, uh, on a directory which is exported to NFS. So we don't need to deploy the, let's say, binaries to each node. And so we can really cut deployment times. Uh, I made some tests with uh, um, a cluster of uh, 150 nodes and uh, deploying a dupe uh, with Zookeeper, uh, including some, some tests, the usual TerraSort, TerraGen, takes uh, around uh, eight minutes. Uh, so if you don't want to make tests, it will take only five or six minutes. And um, so, I mean, the, it's a little bit... Uh, um, as a solution, is a sort of in between build your own distribution and being uh, distribution agnostic, because uh, I, I'm able to uh, deploy to take tarballs from different sources. Possibly, I can mix and match that 
but it's, it's discouraged <laughs> because there, there are incompatibilities also. Uh, but actually, I, I can decide to deploy multiple Adobe instances, multiple Spark instances, because I have uh, uh, my users want to have uh, uh, different versions of Spark, for instance, on the same clusters, and possibly on exactly the same nodes. Um, and uh, this, this is really something that uh, um, is, is really interesting because it allows you to uh, a, a, a high degree of flexibility. Um, as so, um, we started with Hadoop, but at that time we had only support uh, for Zookeeper and HBase because the ecosystem was uh, was uh, smaller. And little by little, then we added uh, support for many of those additional tools. And pretty much we found that, that all of them have the same kind of structure. So the, there's this tarball, there's a bin directory, there's a configuration directory, they have configuration files, you need to start services. Uh, so from our part, there's a lot of work involved in uh, creating all this infrastructure. But the, the, on the plus side, uh, you can actually uh, decide uh, to uh, to down, to use uh, Cloudera, Hortonworks, or whatever, uh, and using exactly the same tool, which is really interesting. Obviously, as a trade-off, um, when I say using exactly the same tool, is also it also means that uh, uh, we uh, we uh, take a different path. Uh, so. Um, Usually, uh, you would uh, use uh, dedicated managers for your Hadoop distribution. In our case, we don't use those managers. So I'm referring to uh, Ambari or, mm -hmm. or Cloudera Manager or other tools because we want to provide something which is uh, uh, flexible and which is compatible with everything. So if you're really a fan or you strictly want to use Ambari or whatever, or Cloudera Manager, uh, this is uh, uh, the trade-off. I mean, you cannot use uh, uh, this kind of solution because it's not compatible with Ambari or, or Cloudera Manager. But it's, um, we discovered actually that uh, it can be a really interesting value added if you want to do something uh, different from uh, from uh, the usual distribution. And um, this is also interesting because uh, in some cases we find that uh, the the uh, like for the tool I. Uh, said earlier, like for Aluxio, uh, we are able to uh, provide um, support or to integrate Aluxio really, really quick. And uh, because the, we use the same kind of infrastructure, we have sort of templates to install all these tools. And uh, it's pretty much all the tools, they have the same structure. So this is... Uh, we can uh, play with these tools really easily. Uh, another interesting aspect is that uh, suppose you're really an advanced user, uh, you want to build your own Spark, or you want to apply your own patch, uh, this is a solution because you're using tarballs. So actually I was talking about uh, Adobe 3, which was, uh, uh, the alpha was released a few days ago, but actually last month I already built my own uh, Adobe 3 from sources, uh, and I was already playing with that because I don't need to create specific RPMs, uh, but I just need a tarball. 
so I mean, this is something we again, which can be uh, really attractive for uh, this some kind of users uh, who want to play with these tools. Uh, maybe less for some users who want to absolutely use uh, a tool like Ambari. But the market, I mean, is uh, is really uh, various. So there's a need for every kind of uh, solutions. So I mean, how does how does doing things like um, upgrades work for you? How do you how do you migrate from from version to version? Yeah, uh, the way we migrate is uh, actually using uh, uh, symlinks. So mm-hmm. since uh, uh, in, in many cases you put your uh, binaries in different uh, in different locations, yeah. uh, the path to the final. I think this is solution use, uh, usually using many many and many other cases for other tools. We yeah. just uh, switch a sim link. Uh, okay. I wouldn't say it with just because it's not easy. <laughs> it's not really easy. Uh, but uh, the main, the most important operation, probably uh, the crucial operation, is that one of switching symlinks. But uh, since we uh, again uh, all the infrastructure to do the upgrade uh, is done by ourselves. Uh, so we need to actually, we have studied uh, what does it mean to make an upgrade and we implemented the procedure to make the upgrades. Yeah. So yeah. this is really from our point of view, uh, my point of view and my colleagues also, it's really interesting because it uh, uh, means uh, that uh, in some cases we also look at the, uh, the Adobe code or at least at the, uh, the issues in Adobe <laughs> because we find that it's not perfect like every kind of software. But um, yeah, you really understand uh, what does it mean deploying something. Uh, yeah. The problems of deploying, the problems of upgrading, uh, and uh, even though we we try to uh, get all these procedures uh, uh, in an automatic fashion, so also the upgrades, there's always something which could fail. You don't know, so mm-hmm. we understand uh, uh, actually what's happening under the hood and possibly how to fix it. The other thing I wondered was the you, you talked about you know having multiple. Uh, you know, multiple distributions on the you know, same set of, of data nodes as well. How yep. does that, uh, is that something where potentially you have them installed in parallel, um, but, you know, only some of them are active at any time? Or could you literally, do you sometimes literally have, you know, both both distributions active and running at the same time on the same nodes? Yeah, it's it's the latter actually, uh, because it's the, it's actually two different silos. Uh, because uh, also studying this, the way you deploy Hadoop, uh, we discovered that, that if you're using different paths for your data, if you're using uh, different ports also for your services, yeah. you can have uh, totally separate Hadoop. Uh, uh, that's why we call the, them Hadoop instances, <laughs> mm-hmm. because we deploy instances running exactly on the same nodes. Obviously, for performance uh, reasons, it's not the perfect solution. But <laughs> I can give you an example about, uh, I mean, um, if you are in a university, uh, you need to spin Hadoop uh, uh, clusters, Hadoop instances for your, uh, for your students. You can easily uh, create uh, and script, automatize procedure. So they take your ID, your number, uh, for uh, because you're a student, and they can create a dedicated cluster for you. 
and the GDOM care where this cluster is running, it can be running also on uh, on the same set of nodes of another uh, another student, but you you have your own independent uh, uh, Hadoop version distribution. It's another way of uh, uh, tackle the problem of uh, silos of uh, security. How do you deal with uh, dependencies like uh, Python libraries, Java versions, stuff like that, which are usually installed in a central situa- central location? Because that would mean you would have to redesign the paths for those dependencies as well. No, uh, for uh, uh, Python or or Java, we use a local installation. So actually, uh, in okay. our in our scripts, uh, uh, all these paths uh, for Java uh, are uh, are customized. Uh, in general, you can decide actually which JVM version you want to use. Mm-hmm. So um, um, you're not forced to use a specific version. So the problem is that uh, you need to really go deep uh, from, I mean, not the user, but uh, me as a developer, I need to uh, to take care of really a lot of uh, um, of parameters to make something uh, independent of the location. Yeah, definitely. Now, just for my, my own idea of how it works, uh, this cluster management system that's installed at your customers, and do yeah. they manage that them themselves, or do you do everything for them? No, they, they manage everything by themselves. So they get a finished product from you, which is the cluster management system, which is installed on their cluster, and from that point on, they have an yeah, interface yeah. which you can just then select and they do have a, They have a wizard to, in, to deploy Spark, for instance, mm-hmm. or Hadoop, and uh, since it's uh, all script, scriptable, uh, you can do that in a, an automatic fashion. You could create a cron job to spin your uh, Hadoop cluster every morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> brand new cluster yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. When you say scriptable, does it also mean the tuning of the components itself? Is that something that the customer has to script themselves, or is that something you have a number of pre-scripted example diff- configurations? Yeah, for the configuration, we also take care of that. So uh, um, you can, after you've deployed your instance, you can fine-tune uh, all the parameters, mostly about memory and uh, and stuff like that. Uh, you can do that manually, or you can also do with some scripts. It's um, yeah, but when you say you, is that the end customer or is that yeah, yeah, you, no, you? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was talking about the the the, the, the end customer, okay. not us. Uh, see, yeah, it's um, obviously. Um, uh, the the fact that we support uh, many distributions, uh, many tables means that uh, before uh, we, we need to do a lot of QA uh-huh. to test whether our infra- infrastructure works with uh, every uh, version. So that's why I'm uh, I'm already testing Hadoop three in uh, well in advance to discover uh, to adapt our infrastructure to run Hadoop three. Yeah, I'm also kind of asking, from my own background, uh, when I started in the big data world, we started with downloading the Apache tarballs and had something running and then very quickly ran to Cloudera because that was the only distribution available uh, four or five years ago. It's because we didn't have the time to do all the Q&A testing for the things you were using. Now, of course, that was a team of two people. I'm assuming that you got more people running on this. But compared to a Cloudera or a Hortonworks that probably have hundreds of people working on that, is it uh, at all possible to keep up to speed with everything? 
Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, um, usually, uh, uh, yeah, being up to speed, I mean, and doing QA, it's, it's the most difficult part mm-hmm. because you need to have a lot of resources. You need yeah. to dedicate a lot of resources yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah. So, um, usually we are pretty, pretty quick. So when there's a new release coming, uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, or even less, we are able to support the, the new version. Uh, but in some cases, if, uh, there's a new features with, uh, um, with, with a new version with new features, like for Adobe 3 erasure coding, uh, or, uh, or maybe there's, uh, um, support for multiple, uh, name nodes, then you need to work a little bit more. A little so, bit? <laughs> a little bit. Let's say a little bit. There's a lot, little bit, uh, much more work involved in that. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's um, obviously uh, the fact is that um, well, um, I'm not talking about my solution. Uh, uh, the, our solution are like something uh, um, competitive, competitive against we are not say against <laughs> using Cladera uh, against mm-hmm. other other distributions. Uh, it's it's a different kind of market mm-hmm. in which uh, uh, you want to have. Uh, uh, what we usually say, you have uh, your data center, which it's dynamic. Uh, you're not using your cluster only for a dupe. You are using a flower cluster for storage, for uh, uh, HPC jobs, uh, for OpenStack, for many other uh, for for many other uh, situations. So you need to have uh, <coughs> the flexibility uh, to switch between usage, yeah. and you need to support. The, so what we would like to do, uh, what we do actually, is uh, providing support for all these tools. I I, I yeah. said. Um, so it's a different kind of kind of kind of market. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So we try we try to tackle uh, complex situations uh, like the one I said, multiple distributions on the same nodes. You will probably in real life in a production server you wouldn't do that, but uh, if on a test server it's possible that you do that because you want to compare performances maybe. Yeah. Yeah, the complexity issue is a big issue, actually, because most of, uh, I think I speak for Dave too uh, in my time, is trying to get the complexity away from the customer by showing them a nice hole where everything kind of is thought out and works together well, and the customer doesn't need to think about which version of this or that, but they just want something that works at the end of the day. Yeah. And listening to what you're describing here, it gives uh, a really much flexibility, that's definite, but that also gives you a lot of complexity. Yes. How does a customer that uses the tool actually, how is he able to make the decision that he needs version XYZ with component ABC? Yeah, mostly uh, it's uh, because of um, uh, Adobe developers. So, so they have uh, built their own uh, applications against a specific version. Uh, so they 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 tell us that uh, they they want they need a specific version of uh, of Adobe. And in some cases, there are uh, API changes, I don't know, between Adobe 2.3 and 2.5, mm-hmm. for instance. But there also there are also minor differences uh, between the same version and the other distributions. So I'm not really into that because I'm not a Hadoop 
developer <laughs> per yeah, se yeah. of Spark per se. But what I noticed actually that uh, uh, a big complexity lies on the client side. I mean, mm-hmm. when you need to True. develop your your Hadoop. Um, your Hadoop uh, uh, applications uh, then if you then do an upgrade or if you switch if you change you, you would possibly need to recreate everything, mm-hmm. rebuild your own application, rewrite some parts because there are incompatibilities yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing that I was thinking about and Dave uh, cut in if you want to say something because I'm kind of monopolizing here <laughs> that's so good uh, one of the advantages of, uh, well, I know the Hortonware solution the best, so I'm going to use the Hortonware solution, sure. is the security layer they put on top of it with Ranger. They're able to integrate everything nice into one little sweet little thing. But if you would want to take uh, HTTP and put Impala on there, which is a nice uh, SQL solution, Impala does not work with Ambari, so now Ambari, sorry, does not work with Ranger, that's what I'm talking about. So Ranger now suddenly becomes useless pretty much because I don't have everything under one umbrella anymore. More, which is the whole idea of uh, Ranger. Yeah. Do you guys have anything that still is able to give you a comprehensive, touches everything, security kind of authentication, authorization, if you want to call solution? Uh, even Kerberos, for example, is that is there a way to have Kerberos centralized in there? Yeah, uh, we we are uh, finishing that part. It's not complete yet, but we are working on. Uh, uh, let's say the verb will be Kerberizing <laughs> your 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 cluster. Uh, so we are working on that, and uh, we are we have don't support yet. Uh, I've not investigated yet. Um, Ranger. So I cannot talk about that, but mm. I know that is a centralized solution. Yeah, but it's never going to work for you because there's a central solution for the HTTP platform because those little components have the Ranger plugin that works with Ranger. And as far as I can tell, and the future can change, but I don't see Impala ever having that. Ah, oh, yeah. In that case, I mean, it's... Um uh, for those kind of incompatibilities, there's something that we, we, we are not able to fix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In some cases, that that that, uh, that is the problem. Um, if I may say, you're still working on uh, Kerberizing your solution. Yeah, that does make me think that it is pr- pretty hard to do. Actually, I mean, Kerberos isn't easy. But no. in the last year or so, most real dis- the, the most uh, commercial distributions, let's call it that, even though Hortonworks is open source, but commercial particle distributions have been able to lick that pretty well. You're still looking at this. So am I right in thinking that it is a complexity, flexibility complexity problem? Yeah, you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a complexity problem because yeah, yeah. Uh, actually um, if you're thinking about Hadoop itself or Spark, uh, okay, Spark for instance relies on uh, on YAR for, sec- for security for Kerberos, uh, so, so it's okay. But what we're also seeing is that depending on the uh, operating system version, mm-hmm. uh, there are slightly differences. Yeah. Also, if you work on Red Hat on SLES, uh, it it doesn't mean that uh, the same configuration sure. would work for both of them. Yeah. So yeah. you also have total freedom of what OS they run, as long as uh, Linux, I guess. Yes. Yes. This, this adds <laughs> a, 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 an additional <laughs> complexity. Uh, complexity. That's why we said uh, the QA part is uh, yeah, really yeah. substantial because we need to to test and make sure that everything is working properly. Probably be, uh, the difference between Red Hat 7 and SLES 12 uh, for a specific uh, f- feature is just uh, one line. Yeah, but still. Uh, but still, uh, you, need to know th- 
yeah, you need to know it. Yeah. Uh, th- those, yeah, those are still pretty similar. If you're looking at Ubuntu Debian versus uh, RHEL, that's a whole other country. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the end, um, this is for sure adds complexity. Obviously, yeah, it's it's a trade-off. If you want to provide more flexibility, you need to deal with uh, with, with more complexity. Uh, so when uh, uh, if you need to add a feature, you need to test for all the distributions, uh, possibly also for all the releases, mm-hmm. because probably we have we have some customers asking for all the releases. They don't want to use the, the latest uh, version which of Hadoop, which was released two days ago. Uh, they want to use one release, which was uh, 2015. Maybe. Which has been working well for a year, so why would yeah, I change? They, they absolutely yeah. don't want to change it. Uh, they have a reason for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, There's all kind of compliance issues that come in there, right? Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, there's, there is always, there's every day something new to learn. And uh, so you can discover actually how all these tools work together. And um, this is really, really attractive. This is really interesting, I think. I do get the feeling that the end customers that use the uh, product have to be a bit more in the know, a bit more intelligent in Hadoop uh, big data world to be able to make the decisions. So am I right in thinking that your preferred customers are customers that are not new to this whole thing but have been doing clustering and a bit of HPC and a bit of Hadoop and big data so they they already have the lingo they already have the the feeling of it yeah it, it depends it depends on on, on customers uh, we have customers so they have been in discussions uh, uh, with the people saying that uh, our big data expert uh, only can deal with the uh, Ambari uh, so I absolutely want Ambari because my administrator only knows Ambari and he doesn't know about uh, what's uh, at the other levels. Uh, but we have other uh, situation in which we have a uh, um, system ad- administrator which are, who are new to Hadoop and they are happy because they see that uh, in uh, uh, they they can script their deployment they have a wizard so they uh, they have something which is integrated they don't need to learn a new tool like ambari for instance so it depends uh, actually on 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 the kind of uh, of situation but this is the give and take, right? So you have to learn yeah. Ambari. Yep, that's a new tool. Yeah. But you yeah. learn Ambari in order not to have to learn a whole bunch of other stuff. Kerberizing yeah, sure. a cluster from Ambari is a lot easier than without Ambari. So that's the plus and minus there, of course. Yeah, the the the, the advantage, I mean, is that uh, since we provide a solution which covers uh, all the levels for the for cluster management, um, we uh, you need to learn only uh, one, let's say. Uh, way of dealing with things. One, we have one single pane of glass uh, instead of using separate tools. Uh, right now, you can use a puppet. You can use many other things if you want to do that uh, on your own. Probably you can deploy also. Uh, and um, the advantage would be that you can manage everything with uh, with one tool. Obviously, there's always uh, something new to learn, uh, but mm-hmm. it, it depends on the levels. Um, but in some cases, it's really helpful uh, to deal with things uh, this way because, um, for instance, uh, we had uh, uh, we have support for uh, um, we are talking about the networking, uh, so we can deal we can deploy uh, Hadoop and Spark uh, uh, with InfiniBand, leveraging InfiniBand. 
this is a solution which is uh, which was uh, which is uh, uh, developed by the State University of Ohio. And so they, they provide, again, in this case, it's a tarball for Spark, uh, a customized tarball for Spark, which leverages uh, InfiniBand. So in this case, it's, it can be really useful. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, there are always, uh, again, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. pros and cons. You need to, uh, you need to, um, uh, to consider uh, what, what you want to yeah to reach what you want to what what is your goal yeah, but yeah. yeah okay throwing a bit broader now yeah the sure. question about self compiling self assembling versus distribution now you uh, bright computing you've made the choice that for your situation your solution you're building building your own is the way to go because it gives you more flexibility to the end customer now let's say that i am a company and i'm building something based on a hadoop like platform would you recommend me to go for a distribution or just say, nah, just start building yourself, download tarballs and go with it? With the knowledge that you have, uh, what kind of company would I have to be to be better off with one or other solution, in your opinion? Uh, I think the best scenario is a scenario in which you have a, a complex situation. You need to deal uh, not only with Hadoop, but uh, with other kinds of uh, workloads. Uh, you need to deal with storage and uh, with the HPC, for instance. Uh, so th- th- your scenario is, is, uh, is, is dynamic. Uh, you have multiple things and you possibly want to, uh, to switch. Uh, you want to dedicate certain nodes to Hadoop and then the, you want to dedicate them to switch uh, easily for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, today, the most uh, normal solution for that would be go to a cloud, go to a public cloud, a private cloud, and just have virtual machines and deploy it that way. Yeah, uh, it's, it's also another solution. I mean, we, we, also, uh, um, we, we also actually have, a, um, we also support OpenStack. This is also a solution uh, which uh, uh, some of our customers use. So they deploy Hadoop inside OpenStack, mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah. Uh, so this is another level of complexity, if you wish. But uh, again, uh, our goal in the end is to is to provide uh, to tackle the, the uh, complex situations. And um, yeah, because again, from my own background, I used to work at Sursara. We had the infrastructure for universities in Holland, and yeah. they also had uh, the grid system there and the HPC system there. And in the end, we added a big data Hadoop cluster because yes, it sounds good in theory that you can use the same nodes and today you install uh, PBS Pro for HPC solutions and then tomorrow I want to have HDFS on there but in practice those nodes using PBS Pro, they're using PBS Pro and they are never available so you end up buying hardware anyway and at that point isn't it uh, less complex to have a separate cluster with a possibility to call it cloud bursting, but call it cluster bursting, <laughs> but no, no, still no, have no. A, 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 a concise hole where you start, a kernel that always stays Hadoop? Yeah, I mean, this is an, uh, another solution we consider. Actually, uh, we also do cloud bursting uh, to, 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 to Amazon. 
so it's possible actually to to extend your mm -hmm. cluster this way uh, we, we again we we, we support openstack we have a our own actually in this case for openstack it's our own uh, um, bright openstack distribution uh, so uh like you said for another answer it depends uh, so we, we have in some cases uh, i know that uh, customers say okay I, I want just these nodes i need to buy new hardware specifically for hadoop so i would go on a certain path uh, other customers who want to start playing with hadoop probably they don't want to buy new hardware they cannot afford if it's a university probably they cannot afford to buy uh, a lot of new hardware they prefer to go with this path with a different path so using the same hardware for different purposes and then uh, later on they will decide what to do uh, so yeah, I mean, in the end, it it, it all depends on what what is your what is your purpose. Uh, as you said, in real life, is not probably the best solution having uh, uh, at the same time different workloads for performance issues is not is not the best solution, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, but again. Um, it depends, and in some cases, we see that customers take different paths. Yeah, yeah. And, um, now you have this solution in the market now for a couple of years. Uh, the, the, the our integration uh -huh. is uh, already three years three in the market, years. but uh, the, the software on which is based on it's more than ten years. Yeah, yeah sure. But so, uh, the the reason I'm asking is uh, for me. I don't, Dave. Maybe you too. But I've seen a lot. You you mentioned the fact if you're starting with Hadoop, you may not have the money to buy a whole new cluster hardware because universities don't have the money. Yeah, that's obvious, that's definite. But what I then see is that those kind of people usually go to a public cloud because that gives you no in the initial investment and just uh, yeah, you can just grow as you want. In the years that you've been doing this, have you seen any impact from this? cloud movement or not at all yeah for sure uh, we have uh, uh, we, we have customers using uh, um, our product in the cloud in, in public cloud and also in private clouds uh, so we, we see a trend uh, customers uh, that that want actually to run their their jobs in the cloud but in most of the cases it's, a, it's what they say it's a hybrid solution so they want to have something on premise and something else mm -hmm. in the in the cloud, uh, with the possibility in case to, uh, as you said, uh, uh, to burst something yeah. from the premise in the cloud. Yeah, we we actually seen the, this kind of trend. That's why we also keep working uh, on uh, on this, uh, extending yeah. our capabilities to the cloud because it's um, it's something that customers are asking. Uh, they also bigger companies. They want to have centralized data centers, and uh, if privacy in a, is a, not really a big concern, they could put their data in a, a public cloud, uh, and and that's okay. That's fine with them. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, Dave. You have been quiet for a long time. <laughs> I have. I've been listening to the riveting conversation. I asked my <laughs> questions early on, and then then Jan took over and asked all of my questions. So I, I think it's, it's a it's a really interesting space because if you look at 
what the majority of organizations are doing. They're just they're adopting distributions because it's you know they see it as the it's the fast path to getting something done, getting something completed. But you've gone a completely different direction. And it yeah. if nothing else, it shows that actually it is possible. You know, you hear or at least I hear uh, horror stories from organizations that try the uh, you know the self build um, route when they they don't go for the distribution. Um, so I think it's it's actually really good to hear that. I think it's the fact that the the code the technology has reached a point where it it, it is workable to do it like that. Sure, you need I think you do need a, a certain amount of um, engineering experience in that sort of area, and I think you do need a a specific set of use cases. I I still think that the majority of of organisations probably the best route to get them started is is to go for a a standard Hadoop distribution. But I think it it is interesting to to know that actually it's not it's not the point where it, this this stuff is so scary that it's actually impossible to go your own. I think the other thing is it's probably it's probably almost the best way to to learn everything from scratch you know doing the the whole diy it's like it reminds me of the um linux from scratch which <laughs> i have run through a number of times Gen two for over the sort of yeah. uh, you know over 10 years and you just you know you learn a lot through through building stuff from from the ground up so i think it, it there's a certain amount to be said for that approach too but yeah yeah interesting Excellent. stuff yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there. In the end, in the sense that the the the, the market is uh, really various, and uh, yeah, it's interesting also that that, that actually uh, there's a viable solution in which uh, uh, there, there are different solutions on the market that it, that that is important. Yeah, and um, and as you said, yeah. I learned really, really a lot <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to overcome. But it was interesting as a side note is that in a way uh, you can measure the, um, the mat- uh, maturity of a certain project by the degree of, of uh, uh, flexibility it gives. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to go really to technical details, but there are some tools uh, which you cannot really customize because in their scripts they're using uh, absolute paths, for instance, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is crazy uh, from my point of view. Uh, so in a couple of cases also, I, I opened a couple of issues to these guys saying, uh, uh, yeah, this is uh, not the best way. Uh, it's okay on your box, on your machine, but if you want someone else to use it, uh, you need to provide a little bit of flexibility, so it's uh, it's it's really it's really interesting. Yeah. Out of curiosity, what what sort of um, feedback do you get on that? On the solution itself. Yeah, well, from, whole, from, from, from the uh, from the people when you're when you sort of raise issues, you know, raise jeers, I guess, against their projects, ah, okay. saying, "Hey, you've got a bunch of hard coded paths. Be really nice if this was configurable." What what's the overall feedback that you get on that? Yeah, uh, okay. In one case, uh, it was a, a open source uh, project, so yeah, actually, there, there was a fix uh, uh, already uh, pretty much available. There was a pull request, so it was available, and they, and they nice. fixed it. It's okay. Yep. Uh, in another case, uh, was a, a 
package we were integrating, uh, uh, which contained, uh, so, but it's a property package, so uh, they con it contained. But there, there were some workarounds, so I contacted actually, um, and it was Ortonworks, uh, uh, what is it called? Um, sorry, forget the name. You so need to three package from Hortonworks. You I need want to know. Cut it. Uh, you you need to cut it. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, the, the tool you use to interact with customers. Customers can upload uh, the uh, load files. SmartSense. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in that case, uh, SmartSense contained the predefined paths for uh, mm -hmm. um, for uh, certain tools uh, like etc uh, whatever. And actually, I was in contact with the. I think it was the product manager of uh, SmartSense uh, directly. Paul Codding, probably? What, sorry? Paul Codding, probably. Paul Codding, yeah, Paul Codding, yeah. Uh, Hi, Paul. <laughs> and uh, uh, he forwarded my request to one developer, and they suggested me a way to configure it properly. Nice, nice. So, I mean, in, oh, in this case, I mean, uh, I wanted to... Uh, it's, uh, as I said, in, in, in an open-source project, it's really a bad way to do things, but it's for smart sense probably it's yeah it's a different it's a tool which is available only if you buy the product. Yeah. So uh, I mean I'm not raising concern about that. Then, yeah, then yeah. Yeah. I'm actually wondering why you have smart sense in your offering because basically it only has value if you have subscription support subscription with Hortonworks. Right? Yeah, because uh, the the customer was asking for that actually. Okay. Yeah. So, so just, just to clarify, so SmartSense is open source. It's the it's the service that's delivered the analysis that's kind of not proprietary. It's just a service that's delivered okay. by support. So the the collector and all that sort of thing is is open source. So the the reason that I raised the question about uh, about standards and you know what the feedback was like from open source community is I've spent some time this week fiddling with a combination of um, Kafka. Um, Storm and Elasticsearch, and the, uh, the the lack of standardization amongst them is just scary. You know, you you just get used to doing something in one tool, and then you switch to something else, and oh yeah, there is no stop script for this. You just have to kill it. For <laughs> <Yeah>. example, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, I I think you've you've done a you've done a very brave thing, and I I'm, and I, I definitely laud you for that. And I think that uh, <laughs> you you should definitely continue this approach because I think uh, it, everything everything benefits from uh, from these these kind of uh, these kind of programs. So no, really good stuff. Oh, thanks. I mean, um, I'm happy to know that. I mean, I also see the feedback from customers when they're happy that it's it's a different approach. Uh, and uh, we know that it's working, and uh, it's not a perfect approach for everyone, but uh, that's fine. It's um, yeah. yeah, flexibility it's is king every time. Yeah, it's interesting to know the the, the use cases, the real use cases, and uh, it's uh, it's always nice. Yeah, sure. Okay, I think that's a nice point to uh, to end the conversation. Unless either of you have a, any finishing thoughts. Nothing else from me. You don't ask a question. <laughs> no, I'm done. Yar. <laughs> All right. Okay. In that case, Michele, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for your insights and the, the information you gave us here. No, thank you for uh, having me as guest. It's been a pleasure. It was really fun. Yeah, really nice. Good stuff. 
Okay, time for our normal ending of the show. This is about all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data yet again. We'll be back as usual in two weeks' time in the new episode. I have no idea what it's going to be about yet. Stay tuned. Until then, please go to www.theroaringelephant.org where you can find more information, send us your questions, and please give us a five-star review on iTunes, even though Dave doesn't like it. I need to put it in every time. Sorry, Dave. It really does help other users find our podcast and helps us broaden our audience. If you don't think we deserve the full five stars, that's fine too, but let us know why. There's a feedback form on our website, or you can send us an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is John. My name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. Goodbye. Yarr.